Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Thank you for joining me today. I have with me Will Burgess. He is from Newport, Rhode Island. He lives there with his wife and wife Brittany and one-year-old daughter Ella. Will started Flat Waves Food Shack in 2010 with his father. As a family-operated restaurant business, Flat Waves faces challenges not only of a small business, but now of being a restaurant in a time where restaurants have been told to shut down. Will, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. So when you and I spoke earlier, you had mentioned some of your um, off-work pursuits, things that you enjoy doing like surfing, spearfishing, running, grilling out, and of course, spending time with your family. How has that influenced your business? Um, well, I, I think uh, first, first and foremost, it's, it's helped me keep uh, just some good perspective in life. I, I do have a lot of things that I enjoy doing. Um, and, and my work isn't my whole life. It's, it's what I do for a living. And, and, um, but, but it's not, it's not who I am. Um, it's what I do. So I've, I've been able to keep some of these hobbies alive as best I can with a restaurant and a, and a one-year-old daughter. But, uh, I'll say the hobbies are narrowing over time. Um, running has been a big thing too, for me. I, I, I train for distance running, uh, throughout the year. And, um, it certainly helped teach me discipline and mental toughness that I, I think applies to, uh, to any small business owner. And, um, and then lastly, you know, like the surfing and spearfishing, I've been really fortunate to be able to, um, travel not every year, but we, we try to, you know, maybe once or once a year and, um, go surf in, in some pretty great places all around the world. And, um, have brought back some, some food and flavors from those places to the restaurant. So it's been fun. We've kind of created an eclectic menu here in the Northeast for, um, from bringing those, those ideas back. Tell me about some of the more, um, some of the flavors on your menu that it's influenced. Um, so the, the original idea actually came from a trip to Hawaii. And when we first opened, we were uh, doing Hawaiian style plate lunch and, um, over the last 10 years, we, about, I guess it was about four years ago, we, we rebranded and, and sort of changed our concept to now we call it uh, Calamexa Fusion. So it's like a California style Mexican food. And um, we've got some stuff like acai bowls and poke bowls and uh, things that we've been doing for, for a while that are, interestingly enough, starting to gain in popularity around the country. So that, that's been, uh, been kind of cool that, that, that it's starting to catch on. So that sounds like fun. Um, I think I need to come visit you so I can eat some of those things. I, I love to eat. Um, your business model, when you and I spoke previously, you talked about having a gourmet side and a retail side. Tell me a little bit of, about how that came about. Um, yeah, so we do have a couple of different um, branches or divisions of the business. We started as just a restaurant in, in 2010 and um, truthfully, just a, a need for uh, more cash flow. We started branching out and doing different things. And someone asked, like, hey, can you cater this event? Like, we'd never catered before at that point. But it was like, yeah, we can make more food in a larger quantity, sure. And um, 
then a couple of years later, we have a kind of a full blown catering business with its own uh, commissary kitchen that we work out of and trucks that do the deliveries. And that's um, really become like an independent part of the business. It's uh, we're, we're now just about 50, 50 between our restaurant and catering business. And, um, and then in the summer months, we have a, a satellite seasonal location right on second beach or right on the beach, the, the local beach uh, with a taco truck. And about a year ago, we launched our retail business where a lot of the sauces, a lot of the stuff in our kitchen is all scratch made um, because it's kind of a unique and eclectic menu. Um, it's not stuff that is always readily available in places. So um, we really got into the food and we make all of our own from salad dressings to pickling to um, marinades and sauces. And we started bottling up those sauces and um, selling them retail about, I guess, six months to a year ago. And so when all of this started and um, restaurants were being told to close, I'm assuming that your catering side also shut down because, I, I, you know, events were shutting down and repositioning left and right. That's correct. Yeah. And um, the, the catering business, everything got canceled. Um, and then on our restaurant business, dining rooms have been um, closed. So our, our patio and our inside dining room is closed and we're down to just doing takeout um, and then some delivery with the, the third party apps. Um, but it's good because we were, we were previously, previously diversified with having different things. So people knew us from different areas um, and we have different customer databases from our catering side to the restaurant side to um, you know, kind of the, the different parts. And we've been able to use that to, um, kind of let all of our customers know that you can still get our food, but you can only get it one way. <laughs> Take out. And exactly. Exactly. So when you and I spoke previously, you had told me one thing that I just found fascinating. You have been able to keep all of your people employed, mostly full time still. Yeah, it's been really, really incredible to see how the communities come out to support us and, and a lot of local businesses. And um, while we're not all full-time, um, we, we have actually been able to keep everybody here working. Um, you know, a few, few folks might be one, sh one or two shifts less a week because we don't have all the catering orders going out, but um, everybody is, is here working in the restaurant and uh, it, it's just been awesome. We're, we're really humbled by it. And tell me about some of the initiatives that you did to keep folks, you know, employed and working. So, um, and kind of like how we were talking about before, um, my, my, so my wife is a teacher here in town and um, she's really involved in the community and the schools and with the kids and, and all of this, when it got declared a pandemic, it was on a Wednesday, I want to say it was like March 9th or 10th. And, uh, that next day we were like, well, you know, they're going to start shutting all this stuff down. If, if we get shut down, I'm, I'm not sure that we'll be able to reopen. Um, or, or even just with all the catering orders, we had so many catering orders. It, it was, it was really kind of sad. Our, our big contracts, they all got canceled pretty much on the same day uh, on the day after it got declared a pandemic when we, we couldn't be, um, assembling in, in larger groups. So, not, not good for a catering business when you can't get more than five people together in a room. <laughs> um, but, but, um, I'm kind of getting off topic, but we, we sat down and we were just like, Hey, you know, if we're going to go down 
and this will be the end. Um, let, let's finish and, and let's go down doing what we believe in and, and what, what's important to us. So we decided to uh, start offering just free lunches for kids. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of students that uh, are, are kind of counting on schools to provide a couple of meals a day and the free lunch program. And, um, and even just for parents trying to put together, you know, now all these extra meals for their kids every day, it's, it's a lot. So um, no questions asked, show up. We got free food for kids, for uh, school age kids, Monday through Friday. Um, and then the other thing that we started doing a couple of days later, or maybe about a week later, there was, uh, um, uh, I, I want to make sure I articulate it properly, but there, there's another restaurant in town that, that had started a, a program where you can buy a dinner for another family in town. And for $25, it's a full meal for a family of four. And that, that $25 is enough to pay for the food and, um, and basically one employee to put it together. Um, it's all spearheaded through the boys and girls club and, and they assess where the need is and, and um, how to distribute the meals and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they would tell that restaurant, you know, how many meals to make a night. So I know the owners of that place. I called them up, um, asked if they needed any support and any help with that. thought it was a great program and um, they welcomed us in. And, and so we sort of imitated that with our menu and the response has been great. Like I think in the first week we sold like 170 dinners for families. Um, I, I don't know what the number is now, but I, I know that between the two of us, um, we've been able to provide over 700 meals for families um, that have been purchased from other, mem other members of the community. And um, yeah, I, I think that, I think I'm explaining it properly. It's, there's just a few pieces to it. The Boys and Girls Club does the distribution. Uh, myself and, and uh, the Winner Winner Chicken Dinner Restaurant make the, uh, make the food and, and other folks in the community and, and all around, shoot, people from California and all around the country have, have purchased these dinners. It's been pretty awesome. So it's helped keep a couple of our guys employed um, and it's provided a lot of uh, help and, and honestly just like a little, a little light of joy for for some folks in town that have been kind of really had a hard time. So you have, so part of your strategy has been a giving to the community, yep. B, partnering with other local restaurants Correct. and C working with nonprofits for the distribution of, uh, of these, I think you called them love buckets. Is that what you called them? Uh, well, so yeah, ours is just called Flatways family dinner. Um, and and the other restaurant that they call it a bucket of love because it's like a bucket of fried chicken. Gotcha. And yeah. that restaurant is called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. <laughs> I love the name. Okay. Cool. So um, I think it's brilliant that you partnered with the nonprofit. I mean, that's you know I'm familiar with the Boys and Girls Club and it's nationwide with individual chapters in each community. So that's right. I, I think that was a really really good move. And clearly, you care about kids because the initiatives I've been hearing you talk about free lunches for kids, for students, you know, going through the boys and girls club, you know, it shows your empathy, but also this, your passion is what's keeping your business running right now. And, and a lot of long hours and hard work. Yes. <laughs> I think that's normal for the restaurant business. Isn't I, it? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. I, keep, I keep lying to myself, but I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
what other changes do you anticipate that you'll be making and and may, or maybe what do you see changes being when your restaurant reopens? Um, I, I think when everything goes back to, well, I'll, I'll say when things go to whatever the new normal will be, I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to go back to the way they were before. We, we actually have a meeting on Thursday this week with our, our management team here at the store. And, and we're really going to look at um, what things we may decide to stop doing completely that we used to do. Um, there may be parts of our catering business that never come back. And, and I don't, you know, it, it's hard to really know what that's going to look like, but, um, what do they say? 17 days makes a habit. I, I don't know if that's true, but it, I, I feel like I've it heard might that. Be 21. <laughs> well, either way, we're past 21 now too. So I, I think we're, we've sort of formed, uh, new habits in a lot of ways here in our, in our towns and in our country and really in the whole world. And, and it's going to take a while. I think um, before everyone's really comfortable getting back together in groups of 200, 500, thousands, you know, we, we would cater sometimes at colleges for 2000 people. And I, I just don't see some of those orders coming back for a long time. Um, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I think we need to be prepared for sort of what the new normal may look like and, and trying to figure out and, and, um, at least anticipate some of it so that we can prepare properly. Cause I think the hardest thing right now is um, yes, it's good to be in a day to day, one day at a time. I think we, you know, we hear that a lot right now, like just keep putting one foot in front of the other, take it one day at a time, but in the business community and, and in the small business community, especially in a seasonal operation, I don't mean to say especially, but um, I, I feel it a lot in here where, uh, it's a very seasonal community because we live in a touristy type area where eight months out of the year, we spend planning for the other four. Um, so we can't plan right now because we don't really know what to plan for. Mm. And, and that's going to be interesting because we don't know when the lights are going to get turned back on per se. Um, so really like, how do you plan for what you don't know and when you don't, you know, when it's going to happen and, um, from hiring to uh, supply chain and um, lots of different things. There's, there's going to be just, it, it's all sort of uncertain. So while we try to take it one day at a time, um, we do need to start to try to anticipate what the new normal may look like so that we can put a few things in place for it. And I understand that your new norm might have a little bit to do with the supplies you're able to acquire. Um, there's a there's a really good chance of that. Yes, we've we've been trying to watch um, and pay attention to sort of what the supply chain may look like as as this all, you know, as we go through this, and then what it's going to look like on the back end of it as well. Um, and I just read the first article about uh, farmers having to rotate their crops back into the dirt. Um, and not, not harvesting an entire season of, of a certain crop. So um, that, that leads us, you know, just to some concerns about what may be available. Um, the, a lot of these farmers are having to make decisions about what they're going to plant because they, you know, they have certain seasons for things as well. And um, it, it could be a 12 month before everything goes back to what, what we saw before coronavirus. Um, and I, I think I'm making sense here. But I think like to go, it's going to take maybe 12 months before things sort of get back on track from growing seasons and um, 
harvest and, and sort of the whole normal kind of crop rotation. Um, same thing for poultry farmers and um, cattle and all these guys, a lot of the perishable inventory and perishable foods that we're dealing with, um, they, they have a really short shelf life. So these guys on, you know, that are, that are growing and raising, um, they have to be careful about how much they are, how much they're producing, because if there's no need for it, they have to eat a hundred percent of that cost. So a farmer protecting his business and his family and his livelihood could potentially have issues on the uh, supply chain. So the, the big thing is making sure that um, these guys that may have traditionally just been um, raising cattle or, or farming for the restaurant industry are able to reallocate their resources and their products to um, the, the grocery stores. Cause it, a lot of times it's different farms that are producing for different areas of the food industry. So, while the restaurant side of the food industry is, is really by and large shut down, the grocery side can't keep up um, and is having a hard time keeping supplies on the shelf. So it's just it, the big thing is, can these guys reallocate it quickly enough so that they're not losing too much product and then having to make decisions on whether or not not to grow it um, or not to raise it? And, and I think that would be you know, one of the, the biggest problems that we could have is if those guys have to make those types of decisions like, hey, we're not going to plant uh, corn this year uh, because we don't know if there's going to be someone to buy it on the end of it. So, that, you know, it'd be great if there's some support. I, I don't know. I haven't spent enough time researching it. So I'm hoping that there's some support being provided for those guys. And I'm sure that there is. Um, but but there are there are some issues on that side already that, that we're trying to anticipate. Yeah. And I, and I think we could probably talk about supply chain for a really long time. Um, yeah. you know, just some of the basic things that I've seen is, you know, farmers getting ready to turn a, a whole crop of onions back into the ground because they've donated what they can to the food banks, but they can only handle so much perishable food. Right. And repackaging bulk items that were to go to hotels and cruise lines that now redistribute it you know, it also has to be repackaged because I'm not going to buy a 50 pound package of steak. I mean, right. it just, it's silly. It doesn't make sense for me to. And right. for most families, it doesn't make sense to do no. that. So, it so yeah, they can only turn it into toilet paper, right? <laughs> yeah, that might be valuable at this point. Yeah, we, we um, could not a toilet paper joke. <laughs> you know, it's, it's totally appropriate at this time. Um, I've actually seen restaurants who, with takeout orders, have been giving a roll of toilet paper away. So, um, oh man, uh, I, I refrain <laughs> from comment. <laughs> no okay. Comment. So, so Will, um, I want to make sure that people know how to I'm find sorry. you in case they want to um, look into your program that you're doing with the family meals or, or to help out in any kind of way. So, how can they find you? Sure, Denise. Thank you. Um, Flat-waves.com. That little dash in there is a uh, kind of a pain, but it, it still exists there. So flat-waves.com. If you Google flat waves, we're you know pretty much the only thing that comes up. I think there's a hairstyle that might be called the same thing, but uh, it's either my restaurant or, or um, a hair salon. <laughs> uh, Google flat waves or um, Instagram, Facebook is all just at flat waves. And okay. uh, yeah, I think that's it. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it so much. 
Um, you've got a great story on how you've been able to keep things going. And I certainly wish you all the best when, you know, the world opens back up um, and, and that you can continue to evolve and maneuver through whatever the next set of challenges is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. It was great to meet you. I appreciate you reaching out. No problem. Take care. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.